This is Radio Maria. Very warm welcome to Catechesis this afternoon. And today we have with us our very dear friend Derek Williams, who shall be continuing his series on the biblical covenants. And today we shall be delving into God's covenant with us through Jesus, the new and everlasting covenant. It's time to sing your song again. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me. Let me be singing when the evening comes. Bless the Lord. Welcome to all our listeners. As you've just heard in the introduction, this is Catechesis, and we're here with Derek. Hello, Derek. Good afternoon, Eddie. Nice to be here again. It's nice to have you back on uh, on our regular slot now. And as I've just said to the uh, the listeners, this is um, your series on the biblical covenant continuing. And I believe this is the fourth part of this part of our Lord and the everlasting covenant. Is that correct? I've lost track, Eddie. You know better than me. <laughs> <laughs> All I know is I'm coming in every week and I just keep talking. Well, we're okay. Well, I'm going to allow you to do that right now. I'm going to hand the airwaves over to you and our dear listeners. And then I'll pop back again in about 15 minutes and we have a, a music break and then we can open up our phone lines. And if anyone would like to ask Derek a question and he's got a pen or piece of paper ready, it's 01223. Three seven five five six four, and I'll hand you over now. All yours, Derek. Super. Thank you very much, Eddie. Good afternoon, listeners. Bibles up the ready. Um, I'm going to cover. We're going to begin tonight, today, this afternoon, um, looking at the Garden of Gethsemane. So last week we we looked at the the situation around the Last Supper, and. Um, and uh, now we want to look at the Jesus going into his, his actual passion now, where he establishes the new and everlasting covenant. And I'd ask you all to bear in mind that everything that Jesus has done so far, up to the Last Supper, is under the old covenants. The Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant. Jesus is fulfilling those covenants, but he's functioning under them. So he, he submits himself to the law, as it were, in order to fulfill the law. Now he's establishing the new covenant. So um, this, this is where it all happens. And it begins, Luke 22, verse 39. Then going out, he went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. When he arrived at the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not undergo the test. I ask you to bear in mind, listeners, that Jesus is going out to a garden, and the first test suffered by man was Adam suffering in a garden at a tree. And Jesus is going to where the olive trees were. So he's saying to his disciples, Pray you do not undergo the test. Or, or fail the test, if you like. He withdraws from them about a stone saw, and he starts praying, Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Still not my will, but yours be done. To strengthen him, an angel from heaven appears to him. Now notice, when Jesus is being tried in the garden, he appeals to his father. 
Okay, that's where he gets his strength from. And I'd encourage the, the, the listeners to think carefully about this. When you're in time of temptation, do you try to overcome the temptation on your own strength? Or do you turn to the Father? Do you seek God as your strength? Or do you fight the battle on your own strength? Okay. The master that we serve turns to his father. And to send, strengthen him, an angel comes. Once again, notice the contrast. When Adam and Eve were being tested in the Garden of Eden, it was a fallen angel who came to test them. When Jesus is being tried in the Garden of Gethsemane, um, it's an angel that comes to strengthen him because he appeals to his father. Um, and his sweat becomes like drops of blood. Now, once again, we've looked at the blood. It's a blood covenant. Always remember that. It's a blood covenant that you are in. You have been immersed into this blood covenant when you were baptized. You might say, when did we get into this covenant? When you were baptized, you were baptized into the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you were baptized into the suffering in the Garden of Gethsemane. You were baptized into his scourging, his crowning with thorns. You were baptized into his death on the cross and his resurrection. Okay? Um, and the blood comes from his head, like great drops of blood falling on the ground. This is because of the stress of the covenant that he's under. He rises from prayer, goes to his disciples, he finds them asleep. Um, much like, uh, similar if you like, Adam was asleep at the time of his Eve coming from him. Abraham was asleep, God, but then God put them to sleep. On this occasion, Jesus is saying, don't be asleep. This is not the time to sleep. Get up and pray. Um, now, the word Gethsemane means wine or oil press. And that's exactly what's happening to Christ. He's, being, he's suffering the, uh, the pain of the covenant, the pain of man's sin is upon him and he's experiencing the suffering due to sin our thing is when we sin we don't experience the suffering of sin at that point we often experience the pleasure of sin and therefore we don't see the full effects of sin on our soul unless of course we recognize that we suddenly become less loving less self-giving less peaceful um, less joyful when we've... I'm talking about serious sin. When Jesus is going through his passion, he's revealing to us the true nature of sin. And what does sin do? Sin kills. Sin separates us from the love of God. Um, and the only solution to sin is blood. Okay? Now I want to go now to Matthew 27. So Jesus suffers his passion. He, he suffers in the garden. He's a, betrayed by Judas with a kiss, which is the ultimate betrayal, because the kiss is meant to be a sign of love for the master. Uh, but he comes to betray him and hand him over. And there's a thing with the handing over as well. But in, uh, in Matthew, I've gone to Luke. I need to go to Matthew's Gospel. Um, because there's an interesting situation with uh, Barabbas that is worth picking up on. Okay. Um, and Pilate, when Jesus is before Pilate, and Pilate is questioning, the, questioning Jesus, and he brings forward Barabbas. Uh, in some translations, the name Barabbas is given a different name. He's called Jesus Barabbas. Okay? 
So you have Jesus Barabbas, who is a murderer, and Jesus Barabbas, who is the son of God. The thing is, in the Hebrew language, the word Barabbas means son of the father, or son of daddy. Abba is a very personal term. So you have, you know, you have, the, you have here the Passover situation. At the Passover, the Jews were told, choose the Passover sacrifice from the sheep or the goat. That's in Exodus chapters 11 and 12. Choose from neither the sheep or the goats. Here, the people of Israel are being invited to choose their Passover sacrifice, in inverted commas, from the sheep or the goat. The sheep, which is Jesus, Jesus Barabbas, the true son of God, or Jesus Barabbas, the murderer. And they set the murderer free and condemn the Holy One to death. And once again, that is what Jesus came to do. You see, when we, when we sin, when we commit serious sin, there is a, if you like, there's a, there's death is taking place. If we're sinning with another person, we're bringing death into their life. So there's a kind of a murder happening there. If you, if a spiritual, we don't recognize it. We don't see the true consequences of our sin. When we should be, we are, as Catholics or Christians, we're meant to be bringing life to people, not death. And John Paul II made it clear that when it, there's no such thing as private sin. There's personal sin, but not private sin, because every sin affects the community. Every sin affects the city and the church. Okay, So they, they ask for Barabbas to be released, and Jesus is sent to be crucified He's been scourged, and he's received a crowning of thorns. Crowning of thorns is important. This is in John's Gospel, okay? Um, John focuses on Jesus as Yahweh, and the kingdom he's establishing. And um, when, he's, when he's in with Pilate, in John 18, verse 33, Pilate enters the Praetorium and calls Jesus and says, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord, or do others say it about me? And Pilate says, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. So Jesus allowed himself to be handed over. Um, what have you done? And Jesus says, my kingship is not of this world. Think about that phrase. Okay? If my kingship were of this world, my servants would fight. But my kingdom is not of this world. So think about it. Jesus, in, early in the gospel, says, I am the good shepherd. I allow down my life for my sheep. Now, you have to think of the irony of such phrases. In the Jewish world, if a person sins, they take a sheep or a goat or a dove. They take an animal, an innocent animal, to the temple. They put the animal to death. Jesus is saying, if my sheep commit sin, I die for them. So think about the incredible um, twist in the narrative that's taking place in respect of the ministry of Jesus Christ to us. Um, if we sin, we should pay the price. We are the sheep. We should be the ones who suffer death. And in a sense, we do. We suffer a spiritual death. But Jesus has taken that sin upon himself, and he died so that we would fully live. Okay? And the same with the kingdom. The kingdom that Jesus is in, he, 
he is clothed uh, in ni- chapter 19. Pilate takes Jesus, scourges him, the souls plate a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and they came, say, and they clothed him in a purple robe and say, Hail, King of the Jews. So this is where the kingship is different. Jesus has been crowned, but with thorns, because this is his kingdom. His kingdom is one of love and redemption. He is clothed in purple robes by the ruling authorities, the Roman soldiers. All right? And they strike him and they punish him. Now, when Jesus comes out, Jesus comes out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, blood pouring down, the blood of the covenant is pouring down in copious amounts as Jesus is redeeming humanity and redeeming creation. Okay, the whole of creation is being renewed through Christ's suffering and death. Pilate says a very powerful phrase, ecce homo in Latin. Here is the man in English, hen ha adam in Hebrew. Okay, hen ha adam. Behold Adam. Behold Adam. That's what Pilate is saying in the Hebrew language. Behold Adam. This is the new Adam. The first Adam preferred sin to salvation. He preferred sin, doing his own will, to doing the will of God. Jesus has battled that in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, your will be done. And this is the will of the Father, where where Jesus is glorifying the Father through his sufferings. And he has been crowned with with thorns, because this is his kingdom. This is what John is preaching to us. This is the king over us. This is the king who rules us. He wears a crown of thorns and he stands in a purple garment. And instead of him expecting his sheep to die, to lay down their lives for him, he is laying down his life for his subjects, for his kingdom, to establish the kingdom. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. And he says, Take him yourselves, for I find no crime in him. Remember the Passover lamb? The Passover lamb must be without blemish. It must be examined and declared to be without blemish. And here is Pilate, the ruling authority in, in, the, in, the, in uh, Israel at that time. He declares he is without blemish. This Passover lamb is without blemish. He has no fault in him. Um, then Pilate goes back out with Jesus. Um, I'm just going to skip over a few parts here. Um, uh, it was the day of preparation, the Passover, the sixth hour. This is where John is identifying Jesus with the sacrificial lamb of the Passover. It is said that at the sixth hour, the Passover lamb would be put to death. And here is Jesus being taken away to be crucified. For what reason? Because of his, because he says he is king. Um, they take Jesus, he carries his cross to the place of the school called Golgotha. They crucify him with two thieves, one on each side, and Pilate writes a title and puts it on the cross. The title reads, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. It is written in Hebrew, Latin and Greek. Why would John record that? 
You've got to remember when John wrote this gospel, it was painstakingly written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And there are several things there that you need to be aware of. Number one, okay, what's being written? Um, in Hebrew, it reads, Yeshua HaNazari Vamalek HaYehudim, in Hebrew. All right? Now, I want you to imagine those four words, Yeshua HaNazari Vamalek HaYehudim, I want you to imagine them on top of it. One at the top, then the other one lying down, the next one the other one lying down, the next one the other one lying down. So you've got four words, one underneath the other. Yeshua at the top, Hayahudim underneath that one, Vamelech underneath that, and Vamelech, by the way, is with a W at the beginning, Vamelech. And then, uh, uh, hold on, let me just get you right. Yeshua Hanazvi Vamelech Hayahudim. And if you look at the first word of each, first letter of each of those words, yes, think about the first letter of each word: Yeshua, Hanazari, Vamelek, a W rather than a V, Hayehudim, Y H W H, Yahweh. Think about it, Yahweh. And this is why the chief priest says, "Do not write." the king of the Jews. But this man said, I am the king of the Jews. They want to change one letter because they want it to be not Yahweh. But Pilate says, what I have written, I have written. So what has he written? He's written that Yahweh is on the cross. Yahweh is being crucified, which is what Jesus, which is what John reveals Jesus has throughout his gospel. He's pointing out all the way through his gospel, this is Yahweh. And um, it's written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek for a reason, okay? Um, Latin is the language, is the universal language, because the Romans were the rulers over, that, over the, most of the world at the time, so it's the universal language. Greek is the language of commerce. So all contracts, etc., were written in Greek. Hebrew is the common language in the area where Jesus was crucified. So the language is written in the common language, in the language of commerce, in the language of in the universal language. So it's 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 there for all to read and all to see in all different aspects. The other thing is, Pilate says, when he says, What I have written, I have written, he's basically saying, This is fixed for all time. Nothing can change it. I have decided this, and that's that. Okay? And the words on the board was the was the title that we've read is specifies the crime for which the condemned man was being executed he's being executed because he is the king of the jews that's why he's being executed that's very important for us to understand that so this is your king this is your king we need to really get that this is your king Let's take a look at what else happens in respect to the covenant here. Um, uh, when the soldiers have crucified Jesus, they took his garments and made four parts, one for each soldier and also his tunic. But the tunic was without seam, woven from top to bottom. And they say, let us not tear it. This was to fulfill the scripture. They parted my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. Now, what's this got to do with anything? Well, if you 
have a read of the book of Leviticus at some point, you'll come across two very interesting scriptures. One is that the great high priest, upon the whom the anointing oil has been poured, must not tear his garments. So Jesus is being presented to here as what is known in Hebrew as the Gadol Cohen, the great high priest, because his garment was not torn. That's what he's been presented to us as. The great high priest who doesn't sacrifice the sheep, because that was to all the high priest, it was to sacrifice the animals. This is the high priest who sacrifices himself to set his people free. The irony here is that um, in the book of Leviticus, it also talks about the leper. The leper must tear his garments. That's very important. That also fits in with when Jesus is being interrogated by the high priest, the high priest tears his garment. So the high priest, in effect, breaks the Torah by tearing his garment, because the, the law says the high priest must not tear his garment. And in a sense, you could see almost like a handing over. The Old Testament priesthood, if you like, ceases. And the new covenant priesthood, if you like, begins. Because there is only one priesthood, and it is Christ. And all priests share in his priesthood. The Old Testament priesthood is finished now, because the old sacrifices have all finished. And the new sacrifice in the blood of Jesus, the everlasting sacrifice, has taken its place. So there is now a fulfillment. And if you like, you could see the high priest, because he has torn his garments, he's become, he's, if you like, the Holy Spirit is showing us that the high priest is the leper. If you like, the unclean one, because we're all unclean because of sin. And when he tears his garments, he's, the, the high priesthood is, is finished. And he's, it, there's a, a sign here that he is the unclean one, like the rest of us. He's not the pure, clean high priest that he should be. But the pure, clean high priest is stood in front of him. Jesus, the one who is without blemish. Okay? Now, it's um, 20 past four. I think I should take a pause here. All right, that sounds, sounds like my cue. It is your cue. All right. Well, thank you very much, Derek, for your first part of this talk. I'm going to put a song on now, a bit of a music break coming up. this afternoon on Radio Maria and I'm going to hand you now back to our dear friend and volunteer Mr Derek Williams for part two 
Thank you, Eddie. Um, so we're looking at Jesus on the cross as the king, um, the new high priest, the new Adam, um, and uh, he has to fulfill everything. So um, standing by the cross, he says it was his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, Mary Magdalene, and one disciple, who we always say is John, okay? But that's missing the point. It says the disciple whom he loved. So before I go any further, hands up those of you who are disciples that are beloved of Jesus. And at this point, you should all put your hands up. In which case, Jesus is basically saying to us, Stand near the cross with my mother. That's the message. Stand near the cross. And then Jesus says to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Now, if you go back to the book of Genesis, chapter 3, chapter 2, chapter I think it's chapter 2, um, Adam names his wife, Woman. Jesus here, as the new Adam, is naming his mother woman. He's calling her woman for purpose because she is becoming the new Eve. And, she's, and he says, behold your son. Then he says to his disciple, to you, to us, behold your mother. Um, so he's used the two different titles, woman and mother. Those two titles were used by Adam for Eve. Woman before the fall, and then after the fall, he, he called her, in Genesis chapter 4, Hava, mother of the living. Mother of the living. But the problem is, Eve is dead in sin. Therefore, everyone who comes from her is going to be dead in sin. So Jesus has to give us a new Eve, a new mother, and he does it through his creative word from the cross, and he does it through his mother and one of his disciples. And he declares over the disciple, Behold, your new mother, who is fully alive, because she was never under Satan's dominion, she was always in a state of grace from the first moment of her conception till when she goes up to, into heavenly glory. She is never tainted by any sin and therefore is never under Satan's dominion. And therefore anyone who takes shelter in the arms of this mother, as did Jesus, anyone who abandons themselves to this mother, as did Jesus. You might say, well, when did Jesus abandon himself to Mary? At the Incarnation. He left heaven and he abandoned himself completely into the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary. We are called to do the same. We are called to abandon ourselves completely to Our Lady so that we can be more completely abandoned to God because there is a grace involved in that. From that hour, the disciple took her into his own home which is precisely what we are being called to do. We are being called to take Mary into our hearts, make her the queen of our lives. Um, and after this, knowing all was now finished, 
To fulfill the scriptures, Jesus says, I thirst. Jesus actually proclaims seven different phrases from the cross. If you could, if you like, you could see that as for the, uh, the to fulfill the Sabbath, seven different phrases for the seven days of the week. Jesus is renewing the whole of creation. And they put a, a sponge full of vinegar on hyssop, hold it to his mouth. Hyssop, why hyssop? Because at the Passover, blood was sprinkled on the doorposts using hyssop. And there would be blood and water in the stem. And so there would be blood on the leaves and water in the stem of the hyssop when, he's, when, you're, when it's being sprinkled. After Jesus has received this, he says, it is finished. Once again, a throwback to Genesis 2 verse 1 where God declares, on the sixth day, it is finished. And here God again is on the sixth day, and he says, it is finished. That's just after he has breathed the breath of life into Adam. What happens here? He bows his head, he hands over the Spirit. And theologians teach us that Jesus hands the Spirit over to his church. So the church, the Spirit is poured out upon the church uh, two days later, Sunday evening, first day of the week, when the disciples are gathered. And in the prophet Ezekiel 36, 26, it says, I will put a new spirit within you. So Jesus hands over the Spirit, and it is handed over to us, so that we can have a new spirit with the new and everlasting covenant. And I want you to think about some of the covenant terms here. Some of the covenant terms are, there has to be blood shed for the salvation of the soul. There must be the shedding of blood in any covenant, otherwise it's not a covenant. The people involved in the covenant become friends. And in John's Gospel, I think it's John 14 or 15, Jesus says, I have called you friends. Now, friends doesn't mean a buddy that you go drinking with every now and then. It's an intimacy about the friendship. There is a mutual sharing of property. How does Jesus share his property with us? Well, he makes it very clear to us that we should not be bothered so much about the things of this world because our Father, his Father knows we need them and he will give them to us. But he's telling us to seek first the kingdom of God. He, and he says to his disciples, it has pleased the Father to give you the kingdom. So he hands over his kingdom to us. And he says to Peter, I give you the keys of the kingdom. The problem is not many of us really get this. And so there is a lack of pursuit of the kingdom in our lives. And I know that's a sweeping generalization, but I see this when I go out evangelizing and I see the spiritual poverty that exists among even disciples of Christ, where we are overly concerned with the things of this world and insufficiently concerned with our growth in holiness and our deepening union with Christ. And not many people are actually seeking the kingdom first and foremost in lives. In my experience, peace will only come when the kingdom becomes the number one priority in our lives. And it will even then take some time to come because there's a process. We have to be consumed for that kingdom. And in fact, that takes us back to another word from the cross. Jesus on the cross saying, I thirst. In the catechism section on prayer, it says, God thirsts that we might thirst. 
God thirsts for the salvation of souls, and he wants us to thirst for the salvation of souls. And in the Psalms, one of the Psalms, I think around Psalm 62, it says, O God, you are my God, for you I long. For you, my soul thirsts. The only food for the soul is God. He's the only food for, for our soul. There is no other way of nourishing the soul. If we are not nourishing our soul on the living God, our soul will die. That's again our choice. Now, in verse 31, I'm watching my time. We've got another song to come in a moment, but just go on to this one. It's a day of preparation to prevent the bodies from remaining on the cross on the Sabbath, because it's a special Sabbath, it's a Passover Sabbath. The Jews asked that their might, legs might be broken, so you know the story. Jesus' legs aren't pierced. One of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and out comes blood and water. And John makes it clear, I saw this. This is the thing with the Gospels. We must not allow people to undermine the fact that we're reading an eyewitness account from one of the close followers of Jesus Christ. He saw it, and he said, They shall look upon him whom they have pierced. The blood and the water are symbol, represent baptism and the Eucharist. But, but, just as Eve was formed from the side of Adam, the church is formed from the side of Christ. So when that, when that pagan soldier pierces the side of Christ, the blood and the water pours out. Think about the mystery there. The fact that Jesus uses a pagan soldier who looks like he's doing evil, he actually, God produces incredible good out of that by the church being born from the side of Christ. Okay? On that thought, let me hand back for a second song and to see if any of our listeners are ready and waiting to ask those questions or to have a debate. Absolutely. Here we are then, coming up our second music break. our listeners this is radio maria you're listening to catechesis and today we have on none other than the one and only Derek williams who's been guiding us through this uh, very interesting series on the biblical covenants and today we've been delving into god's covenant with us through our lord and savior jesus christ and his everlasting covenant so once more Derek. You know the drill. I shall hand over the airways back to you and our dear listeners for the next few months. Thank you very much, Eddie. I I like that comment, the one and only. Well, that's true. (laughs) Well, we're all unique in our own way, but you've um, you've certainly got a particular dose of uniqueness. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Bless you. Okay, so, so listeners, we've seen Jesus die on the cross. He hands over, he's 
completely hands over his blood and the water and his body is completely handed over for our salvation and he hands over the spirit there is nothing left he's buried in the tomb what does he do then he then goes down into hell and he preaches the gospel to the souls in prison some of whom saint peter says are the souls who died at the flood and for those who want to be saved he leads them out in triumphal procession um, and leads them to glory so this is i just want to go back to isaiah 53 back to the old because we never we never disregard the old covenant it is fulfilled in christ and the promises of god in the old testament are a yes for us you'll find that i think in 2 corinthians chapter 1 every promise god has ever made is a yes in christ jesus and these are covenant promises god has bound himself to these covenants to these promises so isaiah 53 surely he has borne our griefs carried our sorrows we esteemed him stricken struck down by god and afflicted but he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities upon him was the chastisement that makes us whole and by his stripes we might be healed now you're all shouting at your mobile phones and your internet gadgets saying that's not what it says oh what does it say then with his stripes we could be healed by his stripes we need to be healed now what it says in every translation by stripes we have been healed we it's past tense okay it's past tense isaiah the prophet writing this probably 500 years before christ writes in the past tense under the power of the holy spirit under the inspiration of the holy spirit by the wounds of Christ, we have been healed. That's very important to get that, because when Jesus, when, when the gospel writers were recording the public ministry of Christ, they didn't just talk about the words he spoke. He was a teacher. They didn't just write about his words. They wrote about his actions, what he did. He came to heal. He came to deliver from evil. He came to set us free. He came to restore us fully to what God the Father had originally intended for us in the Garden of Eden. And part of that process is healing, physical and spiritual, emotional, psychological, the full range. Jesus has won it all on the cross. And he, he came to heal the sick. That's what he does in the Gospels. Now, bearing in mind, he doesn't heal everybody he meets okay in one place he couldn't heal everybody because of a lack of faith that doesn't mean i'm saying you've got a lack of faith which is why you haven't been healed that's not it at all i'm just saying one of the reasons why he couldn't heal in nazareth under the old covenant in another place he's healing a man who's sitting by the pool of siloam what happened to all the other people sitting by the school of pool of siloam in acts chapter three or four peter and john are walking by a man who is sat by a gate this man's been sat there for many years. Jesus would have walked past him, more than likely. But Jesus didn't heal him. Peter does, in the name of Jesus. And it's one of those miracles. So I'm going to invite you all for prayer time, as before we finish today's program, that we will pray 
for God to bring healing and peace into our lives. My particular area of, of praying for people to be healed tends to be interior, inner healing. I love praying for people that we set free from worries, anxieties, fears, from all sorts of things, depression even. And, you know, I've experienced this so many times. I've seen people, people's backs being healed. I've witnessed people get out of wheelchairs. I've witnessed people being healed from all sorts of horrible things. Um, I, was, I was ministering to somebody who will remain nameless, but she knows who she is, lovely young lady. Um, I've known her for years, and I sat with her in a field at Walsingham Conference, and we just had a chat next to a tent. And as the as we were talking, the Lord was healing, and it was beautiful and miraculous. And I've seen that also in my work when I was in I was in Romania uh, last weekend giving a retreat at the Cathedral of um, Saint Joseph in Bucharest at the request of the local bishop. And all I was doing was talking. I wasn't praying over people or anything. I was simply talking, uh, giving people the, the talk on the new and perpetual Pentecost. And the Lord was ministering to people incredibly powerfully. So listeners, I'm going to invite you right now, unless we get an interruption from a phone call, which is perfectly acceptable if that happens. But failing that, I'm just going to invite you right now just to... Tune your heart into the Lord for a moment. Um, use my voice if you like as a guide, but just tune your heart in to the Lord. For those of you who can, what I would suggest you do is either have a hand, your right hand, for example, open, facing upwards, as if you're going to receive a gift or as if you're giving something to somebody, or put your hand on your heart or put your hand on any part of your body where there is a problem. So if you suffer from headaches or depression or something, put your hand on your head or your heart. If you suffer from back problems, you could put your hand around your back or just, just sit and just pray and receive the grace, okay? So we're just going to pray this now because this is part of the new covenant. The new covenant is, brings us the healing power of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I just pray for all those who are listening. I ask you, Lord Jesus Christ, that in accordance with your, the blood covenant you've given us, that you would touch people who are listening to this, either live or on the recording. I ask that you would touch them, Lord Jesus, because one touch from the King changes everything. Dearest Mother Mary, these are your children, and wherever you appear in the world, you always bring miracles. There's always healings and miracles take place every time you appear. And this is Radio Maria your station. So I ask you, dearest Mother Mary, Queen of Peace, Queen of Heaven, Queen of all the Saints, touch your children. One touch from the Queen, everything changes. I ask you especially, especially above all other things, to touch them with peace. I pray for all those who suffer from anxieties, from fears, from worries, from interior disturbance, whatever it might be. I pray for you to bring calm and peace to the soul for everybody who's listening. I pray especially, Blessed Mother, for the peace of Christ, which is beyond our understanding, to be poured afresh into the hearts of the listeners. I pray that for those who have bottled up all their 
emotions over the years, that some gentle tears will flow and healing will flow in their heart and in their soul. I pray for those who have suffered from the verbal and emotional abuse of the years, whether it their childhood or whatever, or who, who have lacked love from their parents. I pray, Blessed Mother, that you, as our dearest Heavenly Mother, will succor those children, will succor them, those people, bring healing to those years of sufferings, so that people can be set free and they can be prepared for the new and perpetual Pentecost that is happening in the Church even now. May the flame of love of your Immaculate Heart be poured out upon everybody who is listening to this broadcast. In Jesus' name, Amen. Eddie, do we have a final song? We do, and I just wanted to say that was lovely. Derek, I had to literally stop and focus and uh, meditate on what you were you are beautifully um, reciting to us. That was a lovely, lovely prayer. So thank you for that. And uh, I'm sure that uh, the blessings through you, from God through you, has reached all our listeners. Praise God. Praise God. This is Radio Maria. You've been listening to Catechesis. Now, we're at the end of our program here with our dear friend, Derek Williams. And I think he's got a few words to conclude this program and a little heads up on what's to come next week. Over to you, Derek. Thank you so much, Eddie. So, those of you who are listeners, please, if you've, if you've been touched by the Lord, either this week or in previous weeks, because of hearing God's word, what's spoken into your lives in a, in a probably a different way to what you would normally have it. Um, and it's brought healing and it's brought a transforming experience in your relationship with God. Please let us know. Um, I would invite you to, you know, next week when I'm on from four to five again, give us a call, send us an email, share your testimony. Okay. Because your testimony spoken over Radio Maria is going to help somebody. It's going to help somebody else to find faith. And we are called to do this. We're called to evangelize. So don't keep it private. Okay? You, Christ didn't die and rise again for us to have a private faith. He died and rose again so that we could be carriers of peace. We could be carriers of the good news. So every one of you has a story to share. Every one of you, and I've, I've met, I've encountered this many times over the years, people who often say, oh, my, my story is not that important. And I, I give them a nudge. Well, you know, share it with me. And boy, I'm always blown away by people's story of faith. Always. And especially where they've been touched by God in a particular way, and it's brought them to a place of peace. These testimonies bring salvation. 
So it's really important that we we, we come to um, Our Lady and we she's given us this beautiful radio station where we can share our stories and we can proclaim the good news. I'm not the only evangelist here. You are all evangelists. So I invite you to do that next week. Think, okay, Lord, what have you done to me over the last few weeks, months, or years? That's The icing of the cake has been this covenant seminar. You've got a lot out of it, maybe, and you want to share that. Next week, I'm going to be talking to you about your righteousness in Christ. This is one of my favorite teachings because it affirms us so much. It teaches us what Christ has bestowed upon us and how we now have access to God. Whereas in the Old Testament, no one could approach God. No one could get into the Holy of Holies except for one priest, one day of the year. But we now can live in the Holy of Holies. We can spend all our time in God's presence. God has opened up the floodgates of heaven for us. He's completely opened up the heavens. And we have access to the Father. And so we shouldn't approach God as if he has no power. We should approach God recognizing that he holds the entire creation in the palm of his hands. He's the most powerful being, the most powerful person or persons of the Trinity. And we can have this intimate relationship with them. So I want to talk to you about that next week. So let me finish this week the We've gone through the death of Christ. Let me just finish it by praying a prayer of resurrection. Okay. Jesus appeared to his disciples on a Sunday evening, and his message was the same as his mother's message when he was conceived 33 years, 34 years beforehand. Simple. Shalom. And I proclaim it over you. Over the listeners, many times in our lives, we have people speaking words of war over our lives. I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to get you. I'm going to damage you, and so on. I declare peace in the name of Jesus, through the intercession of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. I declare peace over your lives, peace over your hearts. May the peace of Christ reign in your lives in your families, in your children, in your households. Peace, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.